Hi, I'm Haley Boston. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a doctor. When I grew up, now I'm a writer. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. Hello, hello, it's Ben. I wanted to give a quick heads up that this episode was recorded before we went into quarantine. My guest today is Haley Boston. Haley is a film and TV writer living in Los Angeles. She's a writer on Netflix's brand new Cherry Flavor, is currently developing projects for Amazon and Shudder, and she was just listed on the 2019 Young and Hungry list for Hollywood's top new writers. She's a big fan of scary movies, but she's also afraid of everything, so she watches with her eyes partially covered. She has aspirations to write novels, direct movies, and one day run her own production company. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Haley. Hi. Hello, hello. Good to be here. Thank you, yeah. So we always begin by discussing a current curiosity, so that's something that's recently sparked our curiosity. For me, I just read this article on Deadline. I believe it came out December 31st, and it's called like, the disruptor of the decade or something like that and it was about how streaming completely changed the 2010s and how we consume mm-hmm. stuff and i thought that was interesting because like netflix itself went through a lot of ups and downs like getting out of the dvd business and uh, that was kind of a turbulent weird thing to do at the time but clearly it, it's paid off and just how streaming has changed how we consume things so the bingeable model mm-hmm you know shows getting picked up for one or even two seasons right off the bat like famously house of cards was pitched at hbo too but hbo was only willing to give it a pilot and netflix was like we'll give you an entire season or i think maybe even two season order straight off the bat which is crazy but it worked out and i'm just thinking now as we go into the whatever decade we're calling is the 2020s mm-hmm. i guess 20s i've seen roaring 20 that's a little <laughs> We don't need to call it the Roaring Twenties. We'll, we'll, well, I guess we'll find out. We'll find out. Is. Yeah, we'll find out how roaring they are in retrospect. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how different platforms like Quibi, which is mm-hmm. going to do short form content, how that changes how we consume things. Like in five or ten years, are we no longer watching half hour and hour longs? So are we right. watching five to eight minute episodes? Yeah, well, I heard that there's on some platforms that they're doing... Um, this thing where you watch on your phone and if you flip it horizontal versus vertical it shows different content so you can see you see more of the scene if it's um horizontal uh which i think must be interesting making something like that because you know how much do you show but they've even started doing that with trailers um and you can kind of see that you know there's you see more of the scene which i think as a creator, I I would find that stressful. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because you have to account for different things now. Right. It's kind of like that Bandersnatch episode. I don't know if you experimented with that. Yeah, Netflix. I did. Yeah. I I played around with that. Um, and it's interesting. Something like that, I imagine, was really difficult to make. Um, going through all those, the the different options. Um, but it feels. I mean, it it illuminates. You know the, the message of it, which is that no matter what you can't really no matter how you choose you always kind of end up either in the same place or not at all what you wanted it's hard to get back on that track um and so I I always I often think about if that will become the future this sort of like choose your own adventure um which which is strange as a writer yeah because it's kind of like you know how much control do you have as the person creating the content and how much of it do you want your audience to experience um, something, you know, different every time. But, and I also saw that Snapchat did something with influencers where they would put on like a fake haunted house. These, These influencers went to a haunted house and, and you could follow the story on Snapchat. It's interesting. I don't know personally if I want to branch into that territory, but I think it's been really cool to see how the, how media has changed. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So what is something that has sparked your curiosity recently? Well, I, 
so I'm really into true crime. Okay. Um, which is something that, again, like like you said in my bio, I'm afraid of everything, and that's one of the reasons why I like horror and and true crime so much. But I'm constantly thinking about ways to avoid getting murdered. That's kind of uh, fun <laughs> or hard to avoid, I guess. Um, so I I recently was talking in a writer's room about um, what to do if you get kidnapped. And I I read this article that mentioned, I think it was, it was either once, if you've been kidnapped, once you're put in a car or being transported, your chance of survival goes down by 70 or 80%. So you should try to get out of the vehicle at that point but isn't that like all kidnapping because if you're not in the vehicle and you haven't been kidnapped right but i mean like you know as opposed to a home invasion where someone's in your house oh got it okay if at the point where like you're in their domain yeah it's bad yes um it's only gonna get worse it's gonna be harder to find you if you've been taken somewhere else so um so this is I guess more of an educational thing, (laughs) but if you're, if you're kidnapped and you're put in a trunk, let's say what you want to do in modern cars, there's usually a latch somewhere above you, um, that will release the trunk in older cars. What you should do is kick out the taillight and which should be fairly easy to do and stick your hand and wave. That would be so scary if I saw somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, one thing because I'm so into this is that I'm constantly looking for <laughs> for um, ways to help people. But it's but it's interesting because, um, like if when you, you say you're looking for ways to help people or <laughs> to, to yeah or to kill them in yeah, my scripts yeah exactly. Um, but I mean yeah, what would you do if you were driving behind a car and someone's hand stuck out like? It's interesting to me because what would you really do? You call the police, right? I mean, yes, but... Unless you think it's a joke. But so much of, at least for me, and maybe this makes me a bad person, but it's like you're you're living your life. You're on your way to a meeting. What do you really do? Do you follow that car? Or are you like, oh, someone else will handle it? I mean, it's the bystander effect, right? Yeah, which, it, which becomes magnified in a place like LA where we're at. You know, if you're probably in a smaller community that... You pay attention right. to that more. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think about that too when I hear, if you hear someone screaming, which happens sometimes, um, my first thought is not to do anything because you don't really know what the context is. So I th- often think like if I was in actual trouble, I would probably be pretty detailed in what I'm screaming. Like help, there is someone holding a yeah. gun to my head right because if you just hear someone screaming you're like that's a drunk person yeah um so <laughs> well now you know if you're listening that in the event of a home invasion make sure you don't end up in their vehicle yes because then it's game over and likely oh, one more thing too is if you're in the business of giving people chores let's say you're a realtor you're trying to sell a house you should make sure that the person you're you're giving a tour to is in front of you so that you're not walking into spaces and having the exit be blocked. Interesting. How did you did you talk to realtors about this? No, it was it was in whatever article I was reading about uh, like avoiding trying to avoid getting in a dangerous situation with yeah. a stranger. Um, so when you go out to dinner, are you like picking the corner spot where you have a view of the entire dining floor or what do you I'm I'm Barely, you know, as much as it causes me anxiety to know these things, I don't always take it into my daily life. What I always do, though, is like I always lock my my apartment door, even if I'm just going downstairs. Like I went downstairs to get you yeah. from the front door. I locked my door, even though it was a one minute walk. Yeah. Um, I think that's normal. That's fine. Yeah. Or but you're I, not like checking the bottom of your car before you get in every I time. I do. I check. You do every time? I check the bottom. People hide under cars. I check the back seat. 
I wow. always get in, lock my car immediately. Yeah, I, yeah. And then, and I check my all my closets when I get home. Well, if anyone was trying to target <laughs> Haley, just move yeah, on. Back just off. move on. Back off. It's not worth it. It's not worth the hassle. <laughs> anyway, now that we've gotten that educational component out of the way, I'll ask you a bit about your writing process. Cool. So, you, why do you think you're drawn to horror specifically? Um, well, so I kind of touched on that a little bit, but I grew up very afraid of, of everything. Um, I was not a fan of horror. I think I saw I Am Legend when I was maybe in seventh grade when it came out. And that's not even really a horror movie, but it freaked me out. I, you know, left the theater crying. I couldn't do it. I had too much anxiety. And then I think in early high school, there comes a time when you sort of, a lot of people at least, get into that. You start getting into darkness. It's It seems like trying to rebel against childhood. And that's what's the most obvious thing is doing what you're not allowed to do or what scares you. So for me, because I, was, I wasn't like the kind of kid who broke the rules, I was a good kid. For me, it was watching scary movies. It was like breaking my own rules and... Um, I think I was 14 or 15 when Paranormal Activity came out and one of my friends saw it and loved it and I was too afraid to see it in theaters. So we were walking home from school and she just, I made her tell me everything that happened. And once she told me about it, I was like, okay, maybe we can watch it because I know. So I started off watching horror movies, knowing what was going to happen um, and I just got kind of obsessed with the feeling of being afraid. It's like the training wheels version of watching a horror movie. Exactly. First go in knowing what's going to happen and then maybe after a few. Yes. And it was, yeah. um, I would go on IMDb and there's a parental guidance tab. And so I would read it before I saw a movie because it tells you where all the scares are. Um, so <laughs> the real nerdy way of, of going into a horror movie. Um, but we got, my friends and I would watch the classics every Friday night we used a Ouija board we were really into that I personally would not mess with that anymore um, because I genuinely believe in it so we had a couple spooky experiences um, and then I just I just like I said I got obsessed with being afraid and that hasn't really gone away I'm I just saw the grudge um, a few nights ago and I was you know covering my eyes watching it it's that's the fun of it so I, I was kind of drawn to that feeling and it feels powerful to make people scared to to make people have any emotion um I think actually laughter is the hardest one I don't write comedy <laughs> for that reason maybe um but making someone cry is really powerful and and making someone afraid and so I think that's part of the fun of it so when you're setting out now to write your own horror scripts, are you, you're not like sobbing as you're typing, are you? No, definitely not. Um, so how do you know like, okay, I'm not sobbing now, but this will likely make someone feel a certain way? It, it comes from testing it out, I would say. Um, I do, can, I, I freak myself out writing and that's how I know that I'm getting somewhere. But I have a fairly low fear tolerance, so... Sometimes I think I push it too far and I have to use friends and 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 horror fans to gauge, is this really scary? Would you be scared? I know I would, um, but I'm a, a, a weak test point. But I, used, I would write, um, when I was an assistant, I would write at work after hours and I worked in an office where the lights were motion detected and I would... Um, so I would be writing and all the lights would go off and it, it freaked me out. I think it added to it. Um, and then walking to my car would be the most terrifying thing. I'd leave the office at midnight and just like hope I, and you just imagine the the worst possible things. Um, so and it all this, goes hand in hand. This was part of your process. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, as for emotional, I think that's really hard. It's hard to, to hit that. And that's kind of the sweet spot that everyone I think is looking for um when I was in college I I thought I wanted to write more like 
indie dramedy type content like Noah Baumbach real grounded not horror at all and I tried to do that but every time I did it it devolved into something violent or gruesome or disturbing and I kind of had to go with that but I I tried to write a a play that was a comedy because I was just testing things out and it was a comedy about a group of girls that get possessed by the devil using a Ouija board and I already off to a (laughs) hilarious start um so I had my my college roommates were all actors uh theater majors so I had them do a reading to see how it went and one of them the girl who played the character that got possessed uh she started crying reading it because she was so scared and that's kind of one of the ways where I found okay I'm not going to be a comedy writer but if this is the effect it's having on people great I'll go with that interesting so structurally do you think there's anything kind of that's unique to the horror genre or some hallmarks that you keep in mind as you're writing like have a scare by so-and-so you know yeah I think about it a little less on those terms and I'll be honest I'm still you know I'm at the beginning of my career I'm still figuring that out um I think I tend to go toward disturbing imagery um and and figuring out you know, scary setups as opposed to a genuine jump scare. Um, but it's really all about tension. I think that's the thing that's most important. And this the setup, a unique setup, and then just like making sure you're building everything with tension, um, which I'm still, you know, working on mastering. Uh, so I think it's kind of a blend. I'm more interested in psychological horror Um, I'm affected by all of it, but I'm, I get most excited about a a movie that puts the audience in a new place and a, a place that affects you long after the movie's over. As a writer, how do you know when you have an idea that's worth pursuing or building out into a script? Because there are a lot of scary moments that you might think of, but how do you know, oh, this might be something that I can run with? That's a good question. I I tend to um, go about creating in a kind of Hollywood unconventional way. Typically, it's, you know, come up with a concept, write an outline, turn it into a script. I find outlining very difficult. It's not my, my usual mode. I find it stifling. So what I tend to do is if there's something that's been haunting me or a concept like I wrote a short story a few years ago that I I just had the image of like a prescription prescription bottle of human teeth and I don't really know where that came from but that was an image that was stuck in my head and I kind of explored a way to bring that into something and it turned into this whole story of these like vampires that um get high off human teeth and I wrote it as a short story that to me is easier and more productive than writing an outline um, because I find that just going into a world without form you don't really you don't need to think about this like this scene starts here and here's I'm going to introduce the characters you can just go and so I wrote the short story and then that ended up feeding into a script. You, you get to sort of create the world first. Um, so that's, that's sort of my process. And I often don't know if it's going to be good or if the idea is going to work until it's written, which doesn't work very well in this business. Um, so figuring out how to translate that. But that is really interesting because you're basically tricking yourself into writing the story or writing mm-hmm. right you're tricking yourself into writing an outline by doing it in a different way right which i've heard variations of like for example some people when they write if they're too scared to actually put it in script form right away they might open the body of an email hmm. and that's that's something i've heard so it's interesting that you say you'll write it as a short story and mm-hmm. then come around later and figure out how to take it from short story to script form. you'll like adapt right. your own work basically totally yeah. and it's and sometimes i'll 
I just have notes on my phone. I almost got pulled over actually for, I was driving somewhere and I was at a red light and I had an idea and I wrote it in an email to myself and there was a cop right next to me who like turned on their siren for a second and I was like, shit, and put my phone back. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it does make it difficult. If you have an idea, pull over. Yeah. That's, that's the message. I was at a red light. Yeah. Okay. I guess though that's not allowed. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that is. <laughs> um, but it's, it is difficult for me right now in the the structure of of the business, which is, you know, you have a pitch, you have to talk a lot about your idea before you write it, which is against my nature. I, like, want to just start writing. Um, so I've been trying to figure out how to, how to make my process work within the, the confines of the business. The, the dream is to get to a place where you can just sell things by being, <laughs> by having your name and people are just like, yes, whatever you want, totally. go. Yeah. So hopefully I'll get there in 20 years. The first step toward getting somewhere like that though, is you come up with a sample and then that hopefully gets you work and, and you build up work and then you can get to that place hopefully. So without talking specifically about your sample, can you talk about the process of going about writing a sample mm-hmm. and what that was like for you? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so I recently wrote a pilot that I was fortunate enough to sell. Um, but that was not the, that was not why I wrote it. Uh, I, I, so writing a sample, you know, it's essentially just to show people what you can do. So you want it to, to show your strongest set of skills. You want someone to read it and think, okay, this person can write dialogue. They can, they're great at writing female characters, whatever it is that will hopefully, um, you know, get you your next job. So I, I kind of took a couple shows that I wanted to emulate, um, that I felt were in line with what I write. And so I, I, I was already a fan of these shows, but you know, Killing Eve, um, End of the Fucking World, I was, interested in the psychopath character um and I kind of wanted to spin it in my own way give it more of a horror twist um and it started out I I gave myself a deadline it was to get a job I was an assistant at the time and I wanted to get a job writing on a tv show so I, I knew I was kind of using some things that existed already with the point being like hey you know, you should hire me on a show that's similar to this because I can emulate it while also giving it a personal, unique twist. Um, and I had come up with this whole concept and it was complicated and it was it was a little like family drama meets horror show. Um, and I just had, I I couldn't write it. I spent three weeks, like every time I sat down, nothing. And I didn't do, I didn't write a short story. I was trying to just, just go. Um, and it didn't work for me. And I, it was a week until my deadline that I gave myself and my agents. Um, and I just started writing a monologue from the point of view of a teenage psychopath. Um, and then I, I just went from there and I totally threw out the idea I had before. And it was, so it was essentially what I just talked about being writing a short story, writing prose first. Um, and so I took that monologue and, and the script just came and it worked really well. And I wrote it in four days and it was just like, just flowed out. And, um, and I used my own fears to, to help get to where it needed to go. Um, and, yeah, that was how it happened. And I, I sent it to my agents and I was like, you know, here, this is a, a sample so I can get hired on a TV show. And I did, which was great. And then I also was able to sell it. Um, and that's, was like a lot of luck in that, but I don't know what my process would be next. That was the last thing I wrote. That was an original, um, script that came from me so I'm not sure how it's gonna go the next time but it 
it worked out. It was a struggle, but it worked out. Yeah. And so you started with a moment, right? And you built it out from there. And there are a lot of scenes you got to work towards. So did you, were you putting them up on note cards? Or you just go straight away into writing them? What was it like? Because a moment is great, but a pilot needs a lot more than that. Right. Um, I had a general idea of where I wanted it to go. Uh, I knew how it would end. Um, but I pretty much wrote like very brief. I, calling it an outline is wrong, but I would write, you know, pages one through seven and one sentence. This is what I want to achieve in those pages and just go went beat by beat. But maybe seven total sentences um, of just like guiding me where it, where it's going to go. And in some cases it, I would be writing and chugging along and then I would stop and realize that there was a, a big hole or I didn't consider something. And so a lot of it kind of like came out while I was writing. Um, and f- to work that way for me, I have to do it all at once as close to like doing it in one sitting as possible. When I write short stories, I, I write them all in one sitting because it's like, I want to just stay in that headspace. That's the most important thing. So I think it would be hard for me to write a script in that way if I was spreading it out. And I still haven't learned how to not procrastinate. So, so far my process has been putting everything up to the last minute and then sitting for two days. Inspiration (laughs) strikes when you have a deadline. Yes, that's exactly right. So have you you tried to write a movie? Because I'd be curious if you can get away with that <laughs> for writing a movie. Yes. Um, a, my The first script I wrote that I got signed off of is a movie. Uh, and I, I cheated a little bit because I wrote it in college. So it was mm. a, f- a fairly structured yeah. process. But I did write most of it in one sitting and then rewrote it like five times, um, also doing that same thing where... I was like, oh, none of this is working. I have to throw it out. And then locking myself in a room for two days and not talking to anyone. Rewriting is such a big part of the process. And as a writer myself, I struggle a lot of times with, is this good enough? Am I ready to move on? How do you know with any of your work, any of your samples, whether it's ready or whether it needs more time or whether it's not working? I think sending it to other people. Yeah. That's something that I think is really difficult to get over when you're first starting is sharing unfinished work and being comfortable with criticism. One thing I, I learned from just producing a lot of work in college, especially was how to not be precious about your work. Um, I wrote a short story in college that um, was about uh, these two girls that hosted a party and you had to write how you wanted to die on a hello, my name is sticker. It was the party's theme was the end of the world. So you wrote how you wanted to die and then everyone got killed in the way that they asked how to die. Um, so it was like a fairly violent story and I had to share it with my class and like half the class hated it because it was just not their thing. And the other half loved it. And I, I was sitting there with like, 15 um, copies of my story with people's notes on them and just kind of had this moment where I was like, oh, if you're writing something that that you want to really speak to people, I think it it will be divisive. You just can't please everyone. So you have to take that into consideration and and I'll write something that I feel like, okay, this is either done or not done and send it to a few trusted people and get such different responses. And then you as the writer have the privilege of saying, okay, these are the ones I want to take. And these are the ideas that flow and are in line with what I want to achieve. And these are the ones that I don't care about. Um, And it can be hard. It's easy to see like a long email with lots of criticism and feel hurt by it. And I still do sometimes, but you just have to take a step back and and think about the product as separate from you. Yeah, I found that helpful in my own work too, where I have kind of like tiers of people I'll reach out to for different drafts. So I have people I feel super close to who I'm willing to send unfinished work. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, 
this is so far from perfect and I, I'm the first person to admit that. So please be brutally honest mm-hmm. in your feedback. And then I'll get a round of notes from those two or three friends. I'll make edits and then I'll send it to a different two mm-hmm. or three set of friends and get a fresh set of eyes. Do you have a limit in terms of a general limit? Obviously not a rigid rule, but for how many drafts you go through? I know some people are like, you get a lot of diminishing returns mm-hmm. after like three or four drafts or do you, is it more of just iterating until you feel it's, it's good? Yeah, I think it, a lot of it is is until i'm like you know more notes won't service this i've heard what i need to hear and and then i'll send it to friends and say i don't want notes just read it and you know you can tell me what you think but i don't want to do another round of revisions and because at a certain point sometimes it then turns into a different project and it's like oh sometimes people bring up a note that I'm like, this would be really cool for a different project, but it doesn't work to me in this script. Um, and then there's also, you know, sometimes you get notes that are telling you, you know, make this character do X instead of Y. And, and often you don't want your character to do that, but it tells you that this person who's reading your script understands your character in a way that you didn't intend. So there's, I often find that a lot of the notes I don't take, but I recognize that someone read it a certain way that's not what I want or is what I want. And I want to lean more into that. So, so then you kind of go, okay, if you thought that character would do that, then I made a mistake and I have to, to go and fix it in another way. Right. Having worked for, having been an assistant for both an agent and a producer and having heard them give notes, do you look at notes any differently with that experience in mind? Like having been on the other end and seen how people give notes? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it has helped me anticipate notes, which can be a bad thing because you're self-editing. Um and sometimes that prevents you from putting out the wildest ideas um, because you know that this person is going to say your character is not active enough or whatever. Um, and there's certain notes that I get a lot, like your character's not active enough. <laughs> um, so it, so in those cases, yes. And hearing especially network notes and studio notes as an assistant was very helpful. Um, and then the other thing is seeing the raw side of it where you know your boss gets a script and and they don't love it and you hear the unfiltered notes and then you watch them get on the phone with the writer and it's like I loved it and there's a lot of cushioning and that but thinking about that just gives you too much anxiety because you're never going to know what that real honest truth is um there's such a way in this industry where people like butter you up before they they tell you what they really think and often don't tell you what they really think because it's such a relationship-based industry that I often send my notes or send my script and get notes and I still can't tell what they really think. Yeah, it speaks even more to the value of having close friends because you want to get it as good as possible and get honest feedback from people before you take it to people where you may no longer get honest feedback right. at a certain level. Yeah, it's kind. Of, it feels kind of contradictory. You'd think that the network is being the most honest, but I I find that in some cases, I mean, I I haven't worked at a network, but in some cases, it feels like they already know that they're not picking up your script or this project's not going to work for them, and they're just going through the motions. And maybe part of it is, you know, we like this writer, we want to work with them in the future so we're not going to be brutal so that they'll work with us again yeah and same as a writer you want to appease them and take their notes and obviously get your show picked up right um so that sort of the falsities of the industry and and people putting on affectations i find that difficult as someone who i i'm very bad at lying i don't I, i prefer honesty but i understand it it's it's a business, you know? Um, but that's been, I I have heard a lot of writers talking about how difficult it is to go from doing it for yourself and writing, you know, 
just on your own and hoping someone will notice you and hoping you'll get paid for it one day and make a career out of it and then actually doing that. And it's very different. Totally. It's, it's tricky because writing can be a pretty personal process. Mm -hmm. And I understand why people give that cushioning because even when you get respectful notes, sometimes just any kind of criticism, especially have after having worked hard on something, it can, it can be tough, like you mentioned, but that, yeah, it speaks to the tricky nature of notes and how you want to get it as good as possible before you show it to people with power to make decisions on it, because you just never know from there right. where it goes. So once you do have a sample you feel good about, it gets in the hands of a showrunner, you get asked to come in for an interview. What was your preparation like for your staffing interviews and what were those interviews like generally? Totally. Um, so I had a few staffing interviews that I didn't get. I didn't get hired on those shows. Um, and the, the process is generally, I guess it depends, but, um, some showrunners, you know, you go in, you get to know them, you, you do the, the, the sort of more general conversation portion. And then some showrunners will ask you, so what did you think of the script? Um, you'll have read the the pilot script in advance. Which is kind of a loaded question. Right, Yeah. right. Yes, and what I was taught and what I think worked eventually once I got hired was to, to read the script a few times, um, compliment it specifically. You want to say, I really loved this scene where this thing happened and I thought that was really interesting and... I'm not sure if this is where you're going with it, but I think this it could be interesting to explore this character's X, Y, Z. You want to phrase it, especially as a low-level writer, you want to phrase it as, you know, not, you should do this, or my idea, here's my brilliant idea, but, oh, I just had this thought. And kind of putting it in a deferential way where you're giving them credit for having set up an exciting avenue. Right. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, and, and I was told to come in with a couple ideas. You don't want to overwhelm them. Um, Cause you don't want to just be like, it was good. I liked it. Right. right. Yes. That's <laughs> the show definite some, worst thing to yeah. do. You want to show some critical thinking. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I would say, be prepared to talk about something you didn't like. Don't, I wouldn't offer that, but if I had been at one of my interviews, I was asked what what was your least favorite thing about it, and I was not prepared to answer that and feel like I maybe answered it too honestly. <laughs> um, I still got hired on that show, but <laughs> but it was um, that's something I would recommend preparing. Uh, and and it's a lot of it. A lot of these interviews in this business are like, you know you're going to be spending so much time with these people. They want to make sure that you're sane, that you're comfortable to be around and that you're not going to take over and overpower everyone and be disagreeable. Um, so it's kind of a balance and some showrunners won't ask you. And, and that one is trickier because you have to then find the avenue to bring it up yourself. Um, the worst thing I would imagine is that, you just never talk about the show <laughs> and then uh, what are you doing there? Um, but, and then it's also, I, I had an interview at one point for season two of a show, which was harder because you have to have watched all of season one and, and they asked me a lot of questions and I had prepared to talk about theme and character and I think it went well. I, I didn't get the job, but it was, that that was much trickier of course than just reading one script and it, the possibilities are endless um so so i but i think at the end of the day it's mostly personality and once you are fortunate enough to get hired to be in a room what was your first experience like in a room and what do you think you've learned over time that's helped you become a more effective contributor well um my first experience I was hired as a staff writer, which is the, the lowest level writer in a room. Um, I'd never been in a room before, so I asked my reps to to connect me with some of their other clients and ask them some questions so I would be prepared. 
I'm very being unprepared is my biggest fear. I never want to come across dumb or like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and the thing that they tell you is like, you know, as in your first room, just look at the people above you, which is everyone in your first room, um, and kind of follow their lead. And you're, it, the thing that was most challenging for me was, like I mentioned before, just talking about writing. It's not something that I normally do. So translating, sitting in a room and typing to being in a room full of people and talking your ideas out loud, that was difficult for me. It's not for everyone, but I found that transition hard. I'm still working on on ways to, to get better at that. But the other important thing is like, you just want to lean into your strengths. There's going to be someone, there, the, the reason you have a room full of people is because everyone has their own strengths. So there's going to be that person who pitches nonstop, just has so many ideas, un, unhurt by getting rejected, just here one after another. And then there's going to be the more thoughtful people that are more quiet and they only talk when they think they have a fix for something. Um, and there's going to be people that are really great at plot or really great at theme or really great at character. Um, I think that the biggest challenge has been finding my area of expertise in each room. Um, the first show I was on is a horror show. Uh, so horror wasn't, wasn't really my area of expertise because it was other people's. So I had to find sort of, oh, I, I am good at, creating strange character moments and tapping into that and not feeling like I have to carry the weight of the plot on my shoulders. That's not one of my strong suits right now. And then in, in this other show that I'm on right now, it's, it's not really a horror show. So I feel like that's sort of my strength and finding ways to blend in tension and, and horror moments. Um, so it's sort of, reading the room and figuring out how you can contribute in areas that you feel like um, you are the best at. Right. I've talked, I've been fortunate to talk to another writer for this podcast and she made an analogy to a sports team, which I think is a good reference because Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, you know, in the same way that you talked about, everybody has their strengths. If anybody's vaguely familiar with basketball, think about the Golden State Warriors. You don't want five Steph Curry's. Right. You want one. Right. And then you want a Clay Thompson. You want a Draymond Green. Everybody who has these different strengths. Yeah. And it, and I think that it that's so true. It can be really hard walking into a room and it's easy to compare yourself and measure and measure yourself up. Um, the the show I'm writing on now is set in the seventies and there are a few history people and I'm terrible. Like I don't I don't know what decade things happened in. I get made fun of a lot for that. Um, and I thought disco was in the 80s recently. Um, so that's definitely not my area of expertise. And sometimes you can feel um, just competitive and and it's just important not to do that and try to and remember that you're there for a reason. Um, I think that's also a very female thing to do is is that imposter syndrome uh, which is definitely something I have to fight against yeah. every day. <laughs> yeah, totally. Have you found any flourishes unique to the rooms you've been in in terms of breaking story other than traditionally mm-hmm. it's, you know, putting note cards up, you arc out the season, you know, then you'll go into episodes, you'll put the beats on the board. Aside from that, have there been any unique flourishes in the rooms you've been in that you've been like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's a mm-hmm. That's a good way of going about it. Um, not really, honestly, yeah, it's been pretty traditional. Yeah. I, one of the things in one of the rooms we talked about, uh, we talked about like horror places to mine horror, um, and just kind of went through like some horror imagery that we could sprinkle in, which I thought was fun. Uh, but for the most part, it's fairly classic i guess it works yeah whatever Um, works yeah yeah totally totally cool well thank you so much this has been so insightful and 
I'm I'm getting I'm new to horror in general, mm-hmm. but I've always appreciated like a good psychological thriller. Yeah. So I'm with you. It's it's cool to when you pay, you know, fifteen dollars or whatever it is now to see a movie to actually feel something, even if you don't enjoy it. Yeah. Like just to feel something, I think is already a win. I agree. Yeah. So we'll just end with some fun questions Great. now because we started a little heavy with <laughs> home invasions and kidnapping. So if you could wake up tomorrow having gained any one quality or ability, what would it be? I think I have two answers. Um, one, which is fairly basic, would be to speak another language fluently. Uh, any specific one? Well, I just went to Italy. I would love to speak Italian. I don't know how useful that would be. Um, but I'm I'm actually not bad at learning languages but I am a fairly not, I guess I'm not very, I'm not quiet, but I'm not like an outspoken person. I, I would be a little uncomfortable practicing. <laughs> so I just want to be able to do it. Um, and then my other one would be to, to be a skilled bicyclist. I, I've never been good at it. Um, I've had a lot of injuries. I've seen a lot of horrific things uh i'm kind of afraid of it but i would love to try to save the environment and get more exercise and my job is only um my office is two miles away from where i live it would be so cool to just bike to work but la is scary yeah it's not very well designed for bikes yeah i wish i was just really good at it and confident about it without without having to yeah. go out it also depends kind of on your neighborhood there are some neighborhoods that do have good bike paths but yeah not the east side, not of, the LA. East side of LA <laughs> um it, there's no bike lanes yeah. it's like terrifying I, I recently saw someone get hit by a bike I mean a car a, a person on a bike get hit by a car and I was in my car and I witnessed it and it was awful and I was like yeah no not I'm not doing that <laughs> <laughs> fair enough what is something you can't travel without well Aside from, you know, the classic, my wallet and my ID, um, I have a necklace that I wear every day. It's a skeleton key on a chain. Um, I, I don't know why it doesn't have any particular meaning. I'm, I'm a fairly sentimental person. And once I kind of attach something to my, my whole thing, I, I get attached to it. So I, I've had this necklace, I think, since I was a freshman in college, and I've worn it every day. Since. Did you buy it, or was it a gift to you? I bought it. Um, I bought this little skeleton key at some weird store in Portland, where I'm from, and um, it was like a dollar, and I bought the chain online for 80 cents. And so it's like this cheap necklace, um, but and the, the chain has broken many times over the years, so I've replaced that, but... Um, I don't know. It means a lot to me. It's awesome. What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Um, check my email. Yeah. Unfortunately. That's a popular one. <laughs> <laughs> What's an app on your phone that you can't live without? And let's, let's say, you know, excluding the phone app. Right. Or right. Messages. Um, yeah, I would excluding those, but, uh, my map, I can't, I don't know. I'm very directionally challenged. I don't know where anything is. Are you ever. an Apple Maps person? No, no way. Uh, yeah, I couldn't Google, Maps, Google Maps. All but I use yeah. Waze for driving. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is I'm obsessed with Letterboxd. Do you know what that is? No. Um, it's like a a movie cataloging website. Oh, I think a friend showed me this. It's really yeah. cool. You so can, you can see what movies your friends are watching. Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay, it's cool. a, essentially a social media site for movie people. Um, but you can log your movies on whatever day you watch them. I'm really into lists. Um, so it, it gives you stats so you can see like, Oh, in 2019 I watched, um, this was the average amount of movies I watched every week. Uh, and, and is it just with movies or with books and stuff too? It's just movies. But you keep lists for books and stuff oh, too. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> I have a, I use Goodreads yeah. for books. Um, I had, yeah, I had a spreadsheet. I do a similar thing, but with Evernote where I write oh, like books. Oh, what's that? It's a, just a good note taking app. Mm. I like it better than the notes app. 
and I, I do like books I read in 2019 or movies yeah. I watched in 2019. Well, on Letterboxd, it gives you stats, which oh, is, yeah. that's the best part. And you can rank them. And you like your analytics. Yes. I want to, <laughs> I want to see it. When I was a kid, I would, um, make bar graphs of my Halloween candy. Oh my God. It's just like a necessary thing, I guess. Like this is a big year for Hershey's Kisses. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then lastly, we ask all our guests to give us a song recommendation for what's your jam because we're going to put together a spotify playlist oh that's curated, so cool yeah with everybody's recommendations um that's really cool uh oh i'm really into this singer alexandra savior okay uh she's from portland um she sings like cool sad grunge sexy um like her kind of, her music would be like in twin peaks that's how i would describe it, Got it. um and she just had a a single came out recently called howl okay yeah cool well it's always funny to me talking to like a super crazy writer dark writer cuz mm-hmm. they tend to be really pleasant people <laughs> <laughs> so in case you couldn't tell haley's so pleasant but if you if somebody wants to check out your dark work or follow you where can they do that um thank you uh you can follow me on social media at Swamp Monster um, with no E in monster. Uh, and then I have a short story called This Is Not For You, which is published on Cichlet magazine, um, which is online. You can look up This Is Not For You, Haley Z. Boston. Uh, and that I'm I'm developing as a TV show for Shudder. So check it out. That was the, the um, human teeth in a pill bottle. Yikes. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> and then hopefully more things will be coming out. Netflix, soon. right? Uh, brand yes. New Cherry um, I was the, that first room I mentioned being in a show called Brand New Cherry Flavor, which will come out on Netflix um, in 2021. So look out for that. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. And if you want to follow the podcast, you can do that at HDYD Pod. Thanks so much, Haley. Thank Appreciate you. It. This is great.